Well, I just said to Jilu, I'm going to tell a story now that's going to make you a bit disappointed in me. Are you ready to be disappointed in me? Okay. <sighs> Not really. Have you ever been invited to a wedding? You ever, you ever been to a wedding? You get a fancy invite and you think, oh, I wonder what the food's going to be like. Has that ever happened to you? You know, or do you just uh, talk to me, people? Come on. Have you ever been invited to a wedding? Let's get that clear first. Anybody ever been to a wedding? Can we say a yes? No, right, come on, wake up. You know, this might be the end of the day, but we're not doing the scraps of the day. This is going to be uh, where the Lord meets us. So, and um, yeah, do you ever see the invite and think, oh, that's fancy, or that's in it, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, and um, it's really interesting what people's wedding invitations look like. Do you know that you've been invited? Do you know that you've been invited to take part in something from, to, with God? And there's an invitation sitting over your life every single day. And I'm going to chat to you a little bit about that invitation. But you know, at my wedding, on the morning of my wedding, this is where you can boo if you want to. On the morning of my wedding, you know, Kathy made the sandwiches for our, re- for our reception. So that we didn't, we didn't have an, uh, an outside caterer. Kathy catered her own wedding. That is so bad, isn't it? See, you, you all think I'm so spiritual, but that's what it was, wasn't it, Kathy? That uh, Kathy made all the sandwiches, and then I ate them all at the reception. <laughs> but um, whatever type of invitation you have had, and whatever type of uh, kind of things that you have been to, I just want you to know that you have a really strong invitation sitting over your life. And if you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you. But also, God wants to welcome you to an invitation to, be, to walk with him and to be the sort of disciple that he's called you to be. He, we often describe that we've been invited to the Lord's banqueting table, or we've been invited to... Uh, things to receive from God. But I want to say to you, it's no picnic being a Christian, is it? That actually it can be quite difficult. In fact, some people make being a Christian almost you have to have a degree to do it. You have to know so many things and that you have to learn so many things. And when people talk about discipleship, Sometimes you get the impression that unless I know hundreds of things, I can't be a disciple. Jesus said this, follow me. That was the invitation. What I do, you do it. Now, there are some things to learn, but I guess the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I putting the right things in? Uh, uh, The key question that we have to ask ourselves is, is what I am being inputted into, is is what I'm receiving, is that right? Am I being discipled? Am I discipling? For those of you who guessed tonight, you see, it's quite hard for people to understand that everybody receives input, whether you're a Christian or not. If you go to work... People are inputting into your life. If you do an apprenticeship, people are inputting into your life. If you're training, people are inputting into your life. Why is it different as a Christian? 
that actually to grow as a Christian, you need to receive input. There's an invitation over your life tonight to be a disciple, to say, I am going to learn and learn of him and learn what I need to learn and receive what I need to learn to be the type of disciple that I need to be. It's not optional, actually. You have been invited to participate in something what we call the Great Commission. Therefore, go out into all the world and make disciples of all people, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. He is inviting you to not just come to church, but to go on a discipleship journey where you receive and you give out. Can, I, can you wave at me if you're with me so far? Okay, you have that invitation. And some of us need help with that. Some of us need kind of input with that. Not relying on our feelings and not over-relying on other people, but it will never be just between you and God. It is, does involve other people as well. Let me read you about a relationship in the Old Testament between Elijah and Elisha. They were two prophets and one mentored the other. One said to the other, I want you to follow me. Now you see, the thing is, we make discipleship as if you have to learn a hundred things before you do it. But actually, Jesus just says, come follow. And tonight, you may not know much. You may, may, you may have heard 10,000 sermons and be none the wiser. I don't know where you're at. But I want you to hear an invitation tonight, not just to be religious, but actually to walk down a pathway and say, I want to become what Jesus wants me to become. Let's have a look at this relationship between Elisha and Elijah. And the call of Elijah is found in 1 Kings chapter, 9, uh, chapter 19, verse 19, actually. Chapter 19, verse 19. And this is what happened with Elisha. Now, I want you to try and not just hear what I say, try and visualize what's happening. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. Elisha, son of Shaphat, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's a long, long uh, string of oxen. And he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up and threw his cloak around him. It wasn't even a verbal invitation. And for some of you, you kind of feel that you should step forward. And you, don't, you haven't had lots of instruction, but you know it's the right thing to do to step into this life. He went up and threw his cloak around him, and Elisha then left his oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come after you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, 
and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, gave it to the people they ate, and then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. They entered into a relationship. And I want to just take a few moments tonight to talk about what is a healthy discipling relationship. What is that kind of relationship that we have to nurture in our lives so that we can walk in this invitation to follow Jesus? Um, uh, turn with me to 2 Kings, and uh, we'll go from 1 Kings. Go to 2 Kings chapter 2. I want to just read you uh, the little bit where Elijah goes to heaven and Elisha is there. In 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on the way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here as the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you and I live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know. Elisha responded, so be quiet about it. I just want to get on with it. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, go down to verse 9, uh, because that's repeated, that cycle, for a few moments. In verse 9, it says, when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do uh, for you before you are taken up? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire. How many of you know chariots of fire theme tune? You don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, chariots of fire came and the horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind and Elijah, Elisha cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of horsemen of Israel. I just want to share with you a little bit tonight, a little bit about the type of relationship we should have with people who we are discipling and they are discipling us. But I also want to do a third thing, is invite you into a discipleship life. You might be here tonight and you, don't, you may not even be sure that you're a Christian. Jesus is inviting you to say, follow me. Fashion your life after me. You see, there's a process to discipleship that we often make too complicated. Here's four things. First of all, the process involves connecting. You've got to connect with some people, even people who are perhaps not yet as a Christian. It's really important to be any sort of discipleship relationship that you start connecting with people. And then actually what people underestimate is the second part of a discipleship relationship or a journey is that you start chatting or having spiritual conversations. 
And see, this is how you can tell if somebody at your workplace or in your family is moving closer or moving away from the Lord. Is if every time you have a conversation that actually it, it begins to bear fruit. But if you're the sort of person whereby every time you talk about Jesus, you drive people away, you're doing something wrong. So the first thing is connecting. Second is having spiritual conversations and chatting. In fact, Jesus said, when you go to a town, find a man of peace. That when you uh, see that person and you talk to them, your peace rests on them, their peace rests on you. There's a connection there. And uh, as you talk, things start to move. I wonder how you're doing in your discipleship relationship. Is it all talking one way? Or is your conversations with people bearing fruit and becoming spiritual? After you've connected and chatting, there is then a kind of inviting that takes place. Hey, do you want to go deeper? Hey, do you want to take a step further? And then after uh, people take that step further, then there's the fourth thing is that things multiply in their lives or even they say, hey, here's some of my friends we want to hear too. So connecting, chatting, or spiritual conversations, inviting, multiplying, multiplying. This is what disciple making involves. Some of you have, have perhaps been taught that it involves memorizing scriptures or doing that. You do that anyway. That's your personal growth. But if you want to lead somebody as a disciple, begin to connect, begin to chat or have spiritual conversations, begin to invite to deeper life, and begin to say to yourself, how can we multiply what's going on in your life? What type of relationships are going to help us to grow in Christ? I'm going to spend a few moments talking about Elisha and Elijah, but I wanted you to hear my testimony. I meant to uh, send the film in earlier to the guys, and they've done so well in uh, getting it ready, but I want you to hear how I came to faith. And uh, I was asked to say it in a moment, in a minute. So this is about a minute of my story. Hi, my name is Mark and I'm from Birmingham. I was one of those people that didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't hang around with any type church people. And Somehow in my upbringing, I completely missed the facts about Christianity. When I came into the orbit of Christianity, I had a vague notion that Jesus had died, but I didn't know why. I, when I heard about the resurrection or Jesus coming back to life, I never knew that was even a possibility. My knowledge of Christianity was very limited. And so the really good news for me is, is that even though I didn't know anything, God could still speak to me and I could still understand his love. And as I gave my life to him, I found tremendous purpose in God. And that's really good news. I knew nothing. I'm seriously. I was, I was from a totally secular background, completely secular. When I first went to church, I've said this often, and it's an old joke, 
But this actually happened. The very first evening I went to church, I said this to you before, the pastor said, turn to the book of Romans, and I turned to the person next to me and said, is there a book of Vikings? <laughs> but I want to say to you today something. It doesn't matter how much you know, there's an invitation on your life to come and follow him. And you're going to have to, you might need some help, you might need some input, but you need to take up that invitation seriously to say, God, I don't know everything I'm supposed to know, but I do want to follow you. So I wonder what types of relationships we need to get into in order to help us to grow in Christ. There's a, there's a book called the Mishnah which is, uh, it's kind of scribbles that the Jews would write on the side of the law, uh, their observations. And one of the things that the rabbis used to say is that the Mishnah means that you were covered in dust of the rabbi. In other words, you were so close to them that something of them would transfer onto you. How can we keep that healthy so that we're not being dominated by a person or just in a system that, that, that is, has got no flexibility. Let's look at Elisha and Elijah and pick out some principles. First of all, if you want to be discipled, and we want to say this really clearly to everybody, that um, it's a non-coercive, free-willing relationship. Elijah said to Elisha, what have I done to you? Go back if you want to. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, uh, do you need to go back? And actually, God wants to say to you, I really invite you, but it has to be you who's coming. It has to be you from your heart that says, I want to follow. You can only disciple someone who wants to be discipled. And so if you're somebody here, you're a cell leader or whatever, and, you, and somebody is just really hard work, there comes a time when you have to say, do you want this for yourself? And that's the relationship that we have to develop. If you notice another thing, that in any discipling relationship, and it happens to you too, there is a cost to being a disciple. When I was uh, becoming a Christian, I was, uh, you might not believe this and I'll leave it to you, I was really popular in my school. I, you know, I don't have one of those testimonies where, where um, you know, I was on drugs and bless you if you were, I wasn't. And, you know, I ran with the gangs and all that. I don't have any of that type of testimony. I was one of those annoying boys who were actually quite good. I was the captain of the athletics team, had lots of friends, but this was the cost. When I became a Christian, I lost every friend that I had in high school. And I actually used to stand in the playground on my own. Now, don't feel sorry for me. You know what I mean? I didn't say that for sympathy. But there is a cost to discipleship. And there will be a cost in your life. Uh, it, and here we see in Elisha's life that he went back and he took his yoke of oxen. He slaughtered everything that he was doing. They ate all of that and he left it behind. I wonder if... We are trying to say, hey, come along, come with Jesus, and we're not actually saying to you, but you know, there will be a cost. There is something. Now, some people lose every friend they have because they become weird Christians or obnoxious Christians. 
That's not what I'm saying. There comes a time when your life is going in one direction and their lives are going in another direction and there is a cost. So number one, a discipleship relationship is non-coercive. It's free willing. Secondly, it costs you something. And we have to say that cost. Thirdly, it always involves servanthood. There will be an element of serving. Elisha, uh, when following Elijah, became his servant. He actually said, you know what, I'm going to just serve this ministry for a while. And I want to say to you, you cannot be a disciple without receiving, witnessing, connecting, or serving. Now, I want you to write those four things down or remember those four things down. Because lots of people emphasize discipleship in knowing and doing things. But actually, disciples receive. They receive from the Lord. Disciples witness. They say and tell out their faith. Disciples serve. They actually serve other people. And that's one of the things that, uh, that Jesus very strongly said. He said, those of you who have been coming to me, in the, in, the, um, uh, in the Gentiles, they lord it over each other, but the people who come to me, they are first of all servants. Do you remember the, the very last episode of Jesus in John chapter 13, where he's in the upper room with his disciples, and they're all gathered around the table, and, and Jesus takes off his robe and lays it down and takes up a towel and he starts washing their feet. And he takes up the posture of a servant in those days. And as well as being a symbol of cleansing, that the Lord cleanses things, it's also a symbol of servanthood in our lives. You cannot be a disciple unless you say, how can I serve? Receiving, connecting, witnessing, and serving. That's what disciples do. There has to be a sense of stickability. In fact, Peter, we, we, all, we all kind of make light of the uh, disciple Peter, don't we? Where he says, I'll follow you wherever I go, and then he denies the Lord. But actually, he does come back, doesn't he? And he does stick it out, doesn't he? And we all have our ups and downs in discipleship, but one of the things that is important about a discipleship relationship is that we ask people to be sticky, that they actually don't, oh, I'm in church one day and I'm here another day and I'm over here another day. That actually there's stickability in this relationship. Elijah, as much as he meant to Elisha, right at the end of Elisha's, Elijah's life, when Elijah's in this whole moment of, he's obviously told people that, that, you know, I'm coming to the end of my life. I'm coming to the end of my ministry. I've had by revelation that God's going to take me uh, away. And the school of the prophets knew about it. It's a tense moment. And Elisha, uh, in that whole intensity, Elijah says, oh, don't, don't, I don't. You see, like all good fathers, all good disciples. He doesn't want to put more pressure on Elisha. He says, oh, don't follow me down to Bethel. This is going to be upsetting. And he said, no, as surely as the Lord lives, I'm going with you. Don't come with me to Gilgal. No, I'm coming with you. You see, Elisha was stickable. How about you? Is it, 
As soon as it's a tough situation, are you gone? How about you? Jesus said to the disciples, take up your cross. Now you have to understand the context of when he said that. As they walked along the road, they'd be walking along and see crucified people along the road. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. You see, part of a discipleship relationship is that even though it's non-coercive, even though it's kind of not heavy, it still calls for people to say, can you stick this out? Who'll give me a little amen? Amen? Can you stick this out? Can you go right to the end? In any discipleship relationship, there's got to be some kind of respect. You know, people who are discipling people, you, you, you want to receive some from somebody. Are you one of those Christians that nobody can speak into your life or you feel that you're top of the tree so much that you only speak down, that there's a cascade, but you're the fountainhead? That can never be our posture as disciplers. It, whether we're a cell leader, whatever leader we are, we always have to be able to say, I have people who speak into my life. Isn't that true, church? Doesn't that sense that that feels healthy? Elisha cried out when Elijah went to heaven, my father, my father. They had this almost parental relationship, and that will happen. But here's the thing about good parents. Good parents always want their children to exceed them. And any discipler that keeps people down is not a good discipler. That's not a good discipler. In fact, I've got two daughters. And, you know, I've got one daughter who's 40 years old. And my daughter who's 40 years old, she just still comes to me for advice. She says, oh, Dad, what do you think about this? But you know what? When my daughter who's 40 years old wants to paint her house, she doesn't ask me about it. She didn't say, oh, what should I have for dinner today, Dad? She didn't ask me questions. If you are a discipler and you're still expecting the people who you've been helping to ask you basic questions, you've not done your job right. Because parents want their children to exceed them. They want them to go further. And that's what happened with Elijah. He said, Elisha said, can I have a double portion? He said, you can. It's a hard thing you've asked. But go for it. You can do it. You see, true disciples let people fly. They release people to even more than what they have had. I just wonder sometimes, you know, all our talk about discipleship, whether or not we're actually willing to release people. There's a man named Gerald Coates, and he was the leader of the, and is the leader or was the leader of the Pioneer Network. And Gerald once said to me, he said that leaders take you where they want you to go, but fathers release you to go where they've never been. I wonder if we can have fathers as well as leaders. I wonder if there's a chance here where we can have a culture that says, go and fly. I've never been there, but you please go. See, that's what Elijah did to Elisha. That was the discipling relationship between them. That he said, have a double portion. Do more than me. 
And some people have worked out, haven't they, that Elijah did 16 miracles and Elisha did 32. There has to be a desire for progress in the other person. Even Jesus. Now, I want to tell you about Jesus, okay? Son of God, Jesus. Almighty God, Jesus. Jesus who knew what heaven was like and we didn't have a clue what it was like. The Jesus who, that while we were still sinners, still died for us. I'm talking about this Jesus. Everybody with me about the Jesus we're talking about? Do you know what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, greater things will you do in my name. Isn't that amazing? That you can do more or greater than Jesus. It probably meant greater in scope, but actually that he had such a releasing heart that he would say, go and fly. So if you're in a discipleship relationship where there's a ceiling, that's not a great relationship for you. Now, of course, there's accountability. Of course, there is learning to do. Of course, there's respect. Of course, there is. Everything of that should stand. But there has to be a desire to progress the other person. And Elisha picks up the cloak and says, okay, let's do it. So today I want to just read you one last scripture. It's from Ephesians chapter 4. Turn there if you've got a phone or your Bible or whatever you read this scripture on. Let us not forget the glorious end that we have been called to. It says this, God has given ministry, disciples, pastors and teachers, evangelists to equip his people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, that we become mature, attending, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Please stand with me. just want to ask you to do three things with me. Number one, goal one, the goal of your discipleship relationship with anybody, goal number one, Equip you to serve. Equipping for service so that you can mature, building up the body. So goal number one, equipping. When everybody say equipping with me. Equipping. This is what you're destined to do. Goal number two, unity in the faith. Goal number two, that every discipleship relationship doesn't mean that it, it brings a kind of competitive thing that one cell group is better than another cell group or this person or this ministry is better than another ministry. The Bible actually says, until we all come, until we all reach unity in the faith, that actually our hearts melt together, that our hearts blend together until we become one church. Unity in faith and in knowledge. Everybody say, goal number two, unity. And any discipling relationship that causes disunity is not a good relationship. Goal number three, it's here in the Scriptures, maturity. Maturity means that you can act the wisest that you can do be at the stage that you're at. You know what? I've got a very mature three-year-old in my family. Now, I'm not going to let him drive my car. 
I'm not going to let him uh, use the cooker or my lawnmower, and he's particularly not getting his hands on my leaf mulcher. But for a three-year-old, he's really quite mature. He can do jigsaws way, way beyond uh, his uh, stage. He's very mature, but he's three. Do you know what I'm saying? So maturity doesn't mean I'm a wise sage and I get everything right. Maturity says, with what I've got now, I act the wisest that I can act. That's what maturity is. And I'd hate doing it parrot fashion, but would you just say that with me? Goal three, maturity. Equipping, unity, maturity. Those are the goals of any discipling, discipling relationship. And to become mature, I know there needs to be healing. I know there needs to be knowledge. I know there needs to be things pushed into our lives. But I want to invite you tonight to say, I want to be discipled. And it's not some weird thing that us as Christians do. Actually, you're already being discipled. You went to school. You went to work. You, you went in training. You're already trying, being fashioned by lots of things. It's not weird for the church to say, come and be shaped. Come and be a learner. Come and be somebody who receives something. Come and be somebody who grows. And tonight, I want to invite you to say you are invited to a discipleship relationship. You'll never grow in that unless you connect. And so I wonder whether you can connect. But you know, as well as the invitation to be discipled, there is an invitation over your life to become someone who disciples someone else. So as well as me talking about you being spoken into, who are you speaking into? Who is it that you're helping on the journey? And this is why being a part of our small group system is important. This is why being a part of serving in the church is really important because you get connected in. And then eventually you come out the way that Jesus wants you to come out. Come on, lift your hand with me. Holy Spirit, just fill us. Holy Spirit. You're invited. You're invited to take the next step in your discipleship relationship.